This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. For most of the week, we've been talking about elders left behind in the vaccination campaign. It wasn't just the numbers of people being vaccinated. The the number of bookings slowed considerably, prompting authorities to open the vaccine program to 75-year-olds ahead of schedule. But as of yesterday, though 200,000 people in the 80-plus category had not even signed up. Now, I have to say that once this became clear, leaders at both the municipal and provincial levels scrambled to address it. We've got initiatives to find people and help them register, as well as assistance with transportation. And we will be drilling down on those in a bit. Unfortunately, even that will not be enough for many people. So let me give you the numbers out again if you want to talk about your experience or about the barriers that you or a loved one is facing to get your jab. The numbers 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. And I'd like to bring in Natalie Mera, CEO of the Ontario Health Coalition, and Peter Trainer, who is a clinical social worker and the grandson of 96-year-old Holocaust survivor Susan Rochlitz. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us. Thanks oh, so happy to be me. here. Thank you. Okay, let's begin with Peter. Tell us about your grandmother and what her situation is. Yeah, my grandmother, Susan, uh, as you said, in her 97th year, uh, she lives at Bathurst in Eglinton, same apartment she's lived in now for, for about 50 years. Um, she is housebound due to both kind of physical disability as well as, you know, kind of the impact of dementia uh, just on kind of her feelings of safety and unwillingness to go out. Um, and she has not yet been vaccinated. And and what do you think it would take for her to be vaccinated? You know, uh, the, as I said, the authorities at the levels of government uh, thought, oh, okay, uh, seniors uh, are having trouble because either they, they're they having trouble registering or they're having trouble getting to the site. Would either of that help your your grandmother or does she need something more? Yeah, no, I mean, these are great things to hear, uh, but they won't help my grandmother. Uh, you know, she hasn't left her apartment in, the, in a year and a half. Um, and as I said, there are kind of a number of reasons for that. And, and the stress, you know, even if, if government or the city or whoever provides a ride, uh, the stress and difficulty of, of getting to the center um, of, of being away from her kind of familiar space would be would be huge. So it unfortunately does not help her. Um, so we're looking for somebody to come to her apartment and give her the vaccine at home. Yeah, and it, it's apparently there are some mobile teams, but I don't know about a mobile team in your area. Um, Natalie Mera, what do you make of the arrangements made for the most vulnerable population, which is the 80 plus? Uh, are are they the right ones? Or does this kind of point to the fact that, uh, you know, people didn't really consider what's necessary? Yeah, I, I'm with you. So I'm so worried about this. Absolutely. They are very much at high risk. And uh, particularly people that have home care workers coming in and out, and the home care workers are not vaccinated yet either. Um, and so this is really a problem. I, one, I just can't believe that we're just figuring this out now. I mean, we're almost in April, um, and there supposedly has been planning going on since December, and clearly that just never happened. It's infuriating, actually, and it's not just in the, at home. I mean, we're hearing from yesterday, I heard from a person 
whose mom is in a retirement home. She's 97, and she isn't vaccinated. And there's a number of new retirement home outbreaks, right? Now we're in the third wave. So it's been haphazard all the way along. I really think, I mean, home care is organized. There are case managers in home care. They can liaise with primary care, like with people's family doctors or community health center, nurse practitioner, and they can roll out the vaccines. I mean, there has to be one. This kind of haphazard approach did not work in long-term care. It took months and months, and still, the you know, the majority only have one shot if they have that at all. Staff are not vaccinated. You know, it's a mess, really. It, it, uh, so, I, you know, one locus of responsibility and roll it out systematically. Well, uh, that's part of the issue. And I think it's part of the good news, too, is that there are different locuses of responsibility and some are doing a lot better than others. So Mm -hmm. that if you happen to be uh, served by by a unit or, you know, a public health unit or a health team or whatever that's doing really well, good for you. But if if you aren't, not so much. Now, Peter, what, what I'm hearing from you, uh, so your grandmother is not in a senior's apartment where they've had special teams as a pilot project come and, and vaccinate. She's mm-hmm. in an apartment in the community where she's been for a very long time. Mm-hmm. I, I know of, you know, my family doctor is in that area and I don't have details. I know that they are contracting with Sunnybrook to uh, have some some people get their shots from a mobile unit. We've been trying to find out from Sunnybrook, and, and if anyone from Sunnybrook is listening, you know, this is a good news story if you've got a mobile team. So, so why not get back to us and tell us about it? Because people want to know. But, you know, I, I'm assuming that you have the wherewithal and that you're spending some time to help her, but, but even you can't seem to find what, what it's going to take. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, we're we're quite a privileged family in, in this in this case, in the, in the sense that um, you know, I work in the health system. My sister works in the health system. My father worked in the health system for thirty five years. You know, we understand the system. We're able to navigate it. Um, I think kind of better than most folks. And yet, even you know, our efforts are, are not enough. Not only kind of not enough to get my grandmother actually vaccinated, but even to get any clear answers around how that will happen, when it will happen. Um, we hear stuff from her family physician on one hand. We hear stuff from um, other folks around these teams of, of paramedics that might be coming around, community paramedics on the other hand. We hear things like you've just described the Sunnybrook mobile team, and yet nobody actually seems to know who's supposed to do this. Um, it's pretty unbelievable, actually, at this point, as Natalie said. Well, so you tried to reach the Sunnybrook mobile team, such as it is? No, no, I've just learned about that from you today. Uh, well, um. <laughs> I mean, and it's I'm trying to get more information, and, and uh, the people that I've been reaching out to don't seem to have it other than to say that it exists. So this is, I mean, I don't know if this is to be expected, but it's it just seems to be uh, helter-skelter. Uh, Natalie, um, I mean, who should be in charge of this? Well, I think for home care, every home care client, the person who's using home care, has a case manager. It is the, it is the sensible place to ensure that systematically everyone has the opportunity, subject, of course, to their right to informed consent, um, to be vaccinated. What I don't understand is why for all of these months this hasn't been organized. I mean, people, we knew we had the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines coming since November. They could have gotten all the consents together in long-term care and home care and so on, be ready to roll it out and then have a way to, you know, for people to access the supply to roll it out across those populations that are at most risk. Um, you know, so uh, the, the nurses who are the case managers have the ability to liaise with primary care, that's people's family doctors or nurse practitioners and so on, and do it in home care. In long-term care, there's a director of care in each home. It's a nurse. In each home, there's a medical director. It's a doctor. They could have been made responsible to do their homes and do them systematically. Like, I mean, this is not to in any way take away from the heroic efforts of the hospitals to roll out vaccine teams. and But, I mean, as you described, in some areas they did very well. 
in some areas they didn't. It's very haphazard. You know, they they some of some places they arrived with 24 hours notice. People had to scramble to get the consent that they could get, get a hold of people, etc. Those people who were on site, you know, staff wise were were vaccinated, but the ones who worked nights or were off shift didn't get. And you know, it's been it's been chaotic. Did not uh, need to be this way. Yeah, this I point. mean, I, I, I have to say I'm, I'm a little surprised because we know, according to what we hear and the directives we see, home care has been prioritized. I mean, not in terms of, uh, you know, necessarily getting a, a vaccine to the client, but at least the home care workers. And we've been told that retirement homes are done, finished, at least with They're the not. first. They're not, and home care is hugely not done. I mean, more than long-term care retirement homes. Retirement homes are less done than long-term care. Long-term care is not done, um, but most of the residents now have been vaccinated. Most of the staff have, you know, one shot at least now in long-term care, but not all uh, still. Uh, and, you know, a good portion of the residents still don't have their second shot. Well, yeah, um, for sure. We yeah. know about the second shot. And uh, I, I don't know if it, this should be part of this discussion, but... Part of the issue that a lot of people find really shocking is that there is a pretty big proportion of long-term care workers who are refusing the shot, who are vaccine-hesitant, not taking the shot, as well as the same thing happening in in hospitals. Uh, I mean, that is a whole other discussion, but, but that's part of the problem with that. Let, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I think there is vaccine hesitancy, although I think over the months, like I think at the very beginning when people were uh, afraid that they had fast-tracked the approvals of the vaccines and, you know, didn't really know whether or not they were safe, it was worse. It has definitely improved over the months. There's no real sound tracking of that. What we hear every day is from um, staff who want vaccines and have not been offered a first opportunity to get them. Mostly now in retirement homes and home care, we also hear from hundreds of families, uh, this is retirement homes, home care, who have not been able to get even a first shot. Okay, uh, let's go to Don in Innisfil. Hello, Don. Hello, Libby. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm not good because... Hello? I'm told... I'm told that... The people who have a PSW are supposed to have their their vaccination. Um, I, you know what, you're cutting out, Don. Um, maybe try calling back on a better line because uh, we're uh, we're kind of uh, losing you. Okay. How's that? Thanks. Uh, let's go to Brenda in Midland. Hi, Brenda. Hi. I, I'm just listening to your program, and uh, I'm in, we're in the same pro, uh, position, my husband and I. Uh, he hasn't been out of the house for a year and a half. That's terrible. And yeah. um, it's, I, I've tried, that. like the PSWs don't have anything to do with the lady just now saying about through the Lynn and the PSWs, they don't have anything. Uh, I spent a week trying to get through to the Simcoe Health. Um, they said they knew about it, uh, and uh, they, were, they were working on it, and it was going to take time to organize. Uh, this is a couple of weeks ago. I've heard nothing since. Uh, she more or less uh, gave the impression that because we are homebound, we are the least people who will get this uh, disease. Um, and they were concentrating on doing mass injections. Well, they uh, they they are that. If you have assistance with transportation, are you able to get no, to a doctor? No. no. It would take two men to, uh, to lift my husband out of the house. If he, I mean, it's never been out for a year and a half, and it would it would need two people to lift him out of the house. Um, and I have no idea how you would get him into a vehicle. I mean, she, she, they told me at the health unit that they were working on it, but it was going to be a big job organizing it. That's yeah. all I've heard. Yeah. Um, uh, Brenda, I hope that we get some answers for you soon. Thank you for sharing. All right. Thank you. 
Okay, Peter Trainer, this must be sounding familiar to you. It, it does for sure, and and you know, so many people saying, "Oh, it's logistically complicated," and and uh, surely it is. And I think you know, was it fifty two years ago we went to the moon? I mean, this is not um, this is not rocket science. Um, it may take boots on the ground, um, but you know, everybody's talking about being on a war footing. We have, you know, a general apparently running this operation, <laughs> quite literally. Um, you know, there just really isn't any excuse at this point. Well, it, it's. It's really interesting because, uh, was it last week or the week before, I was talking to Dr. Samir Sinha, who is uh, our leading geriatrician at Sinai, and he said, yes, they are working on organizing mobile teams to go into people's homes. We know that there's a, a very active mobile team running out of the East York Health Team. Uh, they've been doing really amazing work. Uh, we know that there have been pilot projects of mobile teams going into selected seniors' buildings in Toronto. So I, I'm sort of not... I'm just not clear on, on uh, you know, Natalie, maybe you have some insight. So why is one particular team able to get it happening and another not? Yeah, well, I think part of it is that some areas of the province have much less supplies. So like Lambton County, down around Sarnia, they ran out of supplies. Um, you know, there were different areas where they were, that supply did not match what they needed to deliver. So Toronto had more. I also just think that Toronto hospitals did a phenomenal job when they were doing the, the vaccine teams to roll out to the long-term care homes. And now that they're doing them with, um, you know, seniors who are, uh, or elderly people who are, um, locked in at home or people, uh, who can't leave their homes, um, you know, I, I have, that they will do an excellent job there, provided that those people somehow get onto the list, you know? Um, I think the problem is just that it's haphazard and that across the province, the supply has varied, hugely varied, um, and also just um, the extent to which they actually really did prioritize the priority groups. I mean, what's clear from the rollout so far is that although seniors were supposed to be the priority, particularly in congregate care, that didn't actually happen. The majority of the, you know, first two months, three months of vaccines did not actually go to them. That has been one of my uh, uh, hobby horses for weeks and months that, that, you know, that... It, it also makes it not just unfair, but confusing. And, yeah. and, you know, going forward, yesterday, the province expanded the list of people who will be there in phase two, which I guess supposedly starts in April, which is in a few days. Uh, you know, uh, it just muddies the water and makes it harder for the people who are having the hardest time anyway. You know, we've yeah. got... And, and, you know, you're talking about supply and we're talking to people in various parts of the province. And and yes, but even here in Toronto, which is a gray zone, which is where it's rampant. And, you know, the while there are supply issues, we have more supply than other areas. It, it's still, again, you know, on, on one neighborhood in the city, they're, they're together and it's happening. And on another, it isn't. Totally. And we have tons of supply, like just reams of supply, so that's not the issue. Like for the I province, say I mean, reams, I mean, just but... getting it out into people's arms and into communities around the province. Okay. Uh, let us go to, we have like a good news story here, Trevor in Toronto. Hi, Trevor. Hi, Libby. Um, my, we got a phone call from the Lynn, so the lady, that's my the social worker for my mom from the Lynn right. organization. And actually, they were going to arrange for someone to come and vaccinate my mom at home. Really? And yeah. what what part of Toronto is she living in? What Lynn is it? Oh, it's um, the West. West Lynn. Uh-huh. This is Bathurst and St. Clair. Bathurst and St. Clair. That's the West Lynn? That's where I live. Um, right. Well, that's great. That's great news. So she did she get somebody coming to her house to vaccinate her? 
Well, well, I, well, what happened is that when they called, I already got it arranged to get my mom get vaccinated through her day program, and she already got the first one. Oh, right, right, right. I remember so, you calling that she got it through a day program. Right. But you know what? That's fantastic. Uh, Peter, um, you know, um, maybe uh, you get in touch with the Lynn, because I suspect your mom is in the same Lynn, because Batherton, St. Clair, Batherton, Eglinton are not very far Right. That's why I call it. Exactly. Yeah. 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 And that's such great news. And and I certainly appreciate the call. I mean, you know, I have a family member who 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 works for the Lynn. Um, So, (laughs) so so again, it just it really speaks to how haphazard and and, and bizarre this is, because we have certainly been in touch with the Lynn. In fact, my my grandmother has in the past when she had Mm -hmm. some wound care she needed, had a a nurse from the Lynn coming on a regular basis. So um, they're familiar with her, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, any yeah, it's, it's, it's it, I mean, I, it's just so unbelievable. Okay. Yeah. Trevor, thank you for that. Nope. No problem. Take care. Okay, Trevor. Uh, okay, let's go to Anne in Toronto. Anne, you're saying we're being too tough on them. Well, listen, I've written enough to Rob, uh, to Premier Ford that I think that I can determine whether we're being a bit tough. I've sort of softened my approach um, because. Uh, they're really sometimes working on the fly. They get different information. Then they're not sure how much, what um, uh, deliveries that they're going to get. And I do think it is very early on. Now, I'm getting my vaccine um, this afternoon down at uh, Metro Convention Center. Good and I phoned on Monday. And um, I had the best experience And so professional, and I have, before the phone was, the call was over, I had a text with both my, um, both my appointment dates and uh, a confirmation number. How are you getting down there? Pardon me? How are you getting down there? Oh, I'm walking. You're walking. That's good. I was going to say, if you're driving there, make sure you got plenty of cash for the parking. (laughs) (laughs) I wondered about that. Um, and I walked down there yesterday because I wanted to make sure I could find exactly where to go because, as you know, there's plenty of uh, entrances, but it's up uh, the ramp and around the corner from what used to be the Hard Rock Cafe. But the, I was out for a walk uh, the day before, uh, or was it last week? It doesn't really matter. Um, and they were doing the uh, the 80 and over, and uh, they have an accessibility entrance, and I was uh, really uh, hit home, and there was this, a couple, and I think was it the all trans might have been uh, bringing them in. The lady was on her feet, and the gentleman, he was on a, a gurney, but he had his suit and his shirt and his tie on, <laughs> and I just thought that was like I don't know, maybe not sweet, but I mean it was very real, and. All I see is just regular people, whether they work for all trans, whether they're the security down at the Metro Convention Center. There are real people on the ground trying their best to get this going. Oh, yeah, and- but we we uh, we salute them. But uh, it, it's for those who can't get access. The fact that it's kind of all over the map is a problem. But and congratulations on on getting your vaccine. And thanks for your call. Let's go to Kathy in Toronto. Hello, Kathy. Hi. Um, so I have an 86 year old mother who has Alzheimer's and is homebound. And I've arranged her through the Lynn because she gets home care. For EMS, apparently it's going to come and give her the vaccine. Now, I've asked them, well, when do you think they're coming? We don't know. Um, I said, well, do they have a schedule? Can you give me a... No, we don't know. I called the MPP's office. I said, well, can you find out, you know, when the program is starting? She's on the list. They verify she's on the list. We don't know. We don't have any more news about this. So it's great that they have the program going. It's great that EMS will go to these people, such as my mother, uh, who's homebound. But they have to be organized. They, they, they knew these people were homebound. They, they should have had that list already set out with dates already going. 
nothing yet. Nothing yet. Well, and I don't know if you'll be able to answer the question, but stay tuned, Kathy, because uh, in the last 15 minutes of the show, we'll be talking to Chief Matthew Pegg. Again, this thing is so siloed with different responsibilities. I don't know that he'll be able to answer a question about EMS, but I will ask him. Thank you very much. Okay, you're welcome. Bye-bye. Yeah, and it's like, you know what? Um, I take Anne's point that people are trying their best and maybe we shouldn't be whining and carping all the time. But this is a matter of big stress. And if somebody's homebound and they can't move, I'm assuming that they're going to need to have somebody there to open the door. Um, Peter, am am I correct? I mean... uh, you, mean, you mean like literally to open the door? Literally to open the door. I mean, how do yeah. how how is somebody going to get in if she can't move? Well, well, my grandmother has a live-in uh, oh. care provider who, of course, also has not been vaccinated. Um, but so she does have you know somebody to help in that sense. Um, now that I've been vaccinated, I'd be comfortable going too. Um, so, but but yeah, I mean, and we, you know, we've heard about this thing with the paramedics. We've signed my grandmother up, and we've been told exactly the same thing as. As the last caller, which is uh, we have no idea when uh, this will happen. It could happen today. It could happen in a month. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah pretty uh, they, prob- they probably have no idea either. Which is no, and they don't. And you know, in fact, my my father, who's been trying to help us figure this out as well, told me yesterday that he put in a call to Toronto Public Health because he had heard that in some other places, I think maybe in Durham and York Region, there were some drive-through. Um, centers, and we thought, well, maybe there's some way we could get my grandmother into a vehicle and get her to one of these drive-throughs. Um, and the person on the line at Toronto Public Health, again, clearly doing their best, but said to my father when he asked if drive-throughs would happen in Toronto, they don't tell us anything about what's going to happen. So even the, the staff at Toronto Public Health have no idea and are not being told, and I think are quite probably exasperated by the fact that um, you know people are calling by the surely hundreds and thousands, and they can provide them with no no information. Okay, well, drive-throughs, there's another question for Chief Pegg. <laughs> so, and, and uh, you know, uh, I, again, you know, because everything is so siloed, I don't know if he'll be able to, to answer those questions, uh, though we might figure out who to ask the questions of. Uh, we are uh, basically out of time on this segment. Natalie Mira, what would you like to leave us with on this? Well, just that, you know, in great news, and again, to support what you're saying, I mean, we're not obviously in any way complaining about the frontline um, healthcare workers in every, you know, in the EMS and public health and hospitals and, uh, you know, all across the board who are doing their absolute best. This is a planning issue, and uh, that's what we're worrying about, and that's what we're trying to put pressure on to make sure that the plans improve. But in the great news, I see that in the last 24 hours, they vaccinated 71,000 people in Ontario. That's way up from where it was. It's getting up to where towards where we need to be. So there really is a light at the end of the tunnel. It's getting bigger. There is hope. And uh, we are going to get through this thing finally. Okay. Uh, that's a nice, hopeful note. Peter, 20 seconds. What would you like to leave us with? Um, I'd like to let folks know that this is so serious that there's actually a charter challenge happening. So um, on April 16th, the court will be deciding whether or not this really poor planning is actually a violation of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. So to your previous caller who said we shouldn't be complaining, I think, in fact, we should be, and it's happening at the highest levels. Um, and, and hopefully that will will get some action. Okay, well, Peter, I, I know that uh, Natalie and a couple of other groups are, are bringing an age discrimination lawsuit to the Human Rights Tribunal. Peter, make sure to email us some details on that court challenge, and we will follow up on it. And in the meantime, thank you so much, Natalie Mera and Peter Trainer. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, we have to take a break. Now, when we come back, we'll be talking to international trade lawyer and expert Mark Warner. Uh, some very disturbing news out of the EU, confusing. They're talking about putting more controls on experts, exports of vaccines that are manufactured in Europe, which is where we get most of our stuff from. So um, we will be trying to get the lowdown on that on the other side of the break.
You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. As the politicians keep telling us, all these elaborate plans are dependent on supply, and there is another development across the pond that could threaten ours. And this is the week that we are supposed to receive about 2 million doses from Europe. The European Union has proposed new limits on the export of vaccines made in Europe, Uh, And their leaders will meet tomorrow. They're having a summit to talk about further measures. Now, so far, they've only been allowed to block vaccine exports if they deem a company to be in violation of its contractual obligations. Remember, Italy halted the export of 250,000 AstraZeneca doses to Australia. So, so far, most of this seems to be directed at Britain and specifically AstraZeneca. But the question, of course, is will it affect us here? Now, so far, I've only seen assurances from a spokesperson for the federal small business minister and not even Anita Anand, who is in charge of procurement. So I have to say uh, that makes me a little bit nervous. So I'd like to welcome Mark Warner, principal of MAAW Law, which specializes in international competition, foreign investment and international trade. Hi, Mark. Thanks for joining us. Hi. So Um, thanks for having me. uh, um, So can you uh, shed any light on this? How uh, problematic is this? Uh, You know, I I also read that Joe Biden is going to be in on this summit tomorrow. So presumably he's going to make sure that it doesn't affect the United States. Yeah, I, I think um, well, there are two things. This has been in the works for a while. I mean, the issue really is, um, uh, has it at heart, I think, Brexit. Um, you know, the British left the European Union at the end of last year, uh, formally, and they were negotiating a trade agreement. Um, and, you know, while they were sort of negotiating that trade agreement, they, were all, they had COVID, and both the European Commission, you know, the institutional arm of the European Union, and the British were negotiating with pharmaceutical companies, just like everybody else, major countries in the world were doing. Um, so Britain signed an agreement with AstraZeneca, which also happens to be a British company or a British-Swedish company, but mostly British, <laughs> based in London. Um, and they also signed AstraZeneca then also signed an agreement with the European Union. And it looks like AstraZeneca, which, although it's a pharmaceutical company, is not really a vaccine developer which is one of those dirty little secrets that only people like me who are in this industry and work with it know. <laughs> so you've got a company that's, that's kind of new at what they're doing. You've got a completely new product, this vaccine that didn't exist this time last year. You've got competing jurisdictions and Brexit all thrown into the mix. And so what that meant is that the British had contracts with AstraZeneca, which gave them a preference and named in that contract certain factories that were facilities that were based in the European Union that would have to supply Britain. And at the same time, the company did agreements, literally at the same time, uh, with the European Union that said that they would supply the European Union and name facilities in the United Kingdom. And, And so the question is, how do they deal with this situation where they have not been able to come up to speed? And that's kind of where it is. So so the Europeans who have exported more vaccines than anybody else in the world on, in terms of this COVID situation, by far, no one's even close, are sitting there saying, we've, sold, we've exported to Canada, to the United States, to the United Kingdom, all these AstraZeneca vaccines, but we haven't got one dose from the United Kingdom. And so they're angry. And so they tried to sort of do this thing a couple of, at the end of January where they, as you said, would say that if it was a country a company that was in breach of its contractual obligations, so read AstraZeneca, that they would they could restrict exports. And now what they're doing is saying, well, we're going to go beyond that. If a country, now read the United Kingdom, refuses to export to the European Union, we that's going to be an additional ground to further supply. And secondly, if that other country also is way ahead of us in terms of the proportion of their population that has been vaccinated, that's another ground that can be used. So that's kind of where we are. How does it affect Canada? I don't think Canada is going to be affected directly by this um, in terms of Pfizer, because really the problem 
with the European, the European Union has isn't with Pfizer, which is being produced in the European Union so far. It's really with AstraZeneca. Um, now, the question, and this is where I think the risk isn't zero, notwithstanding what the Minister of Trade and spokesperson is quoted as saying, if the, United, if the European Union were to block something, an export of AstraZeneca doses to the United Kingdom, and if the United Kingdom then did tit for tat, and then either ban the export of Pfizer vaccines or materials that are used to make a Pfizer vaccine to the European Union, then that would could have conceivably an impact downstream on supply, that is to say, supply to countries like Canada. That's the risk I think that Canada faces from this, not really the direct risk that an actual export would be, um, as a matter of primary matter, restricted to Canada. Yeah, it's 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 very convoluted. So first of all, the European Union was dumping all over the AstraZeneca vaccine. Now they're saying they're not getting enough of it. And of course, here in Canada, that is going to be the main one that's uh, given to pharmacies and doctors offices. Uh, so, yeah, we're getting we're getting uh, one and a half million doses from the United States, but we also have to pay those forward. Right. Well, we've ordered 20. The real amount we're supposed to get to the United States is 20 million. And that's subject to the other one, which is the Americans are, are basically not allowing the big set of stock to go through and uh, go across their borders because they gave money early on to AstraZeneca and to other companies um, until basically. J- just a minute, Mark. I, I'm, uh, I'm losing you. <laughs> um, oh, sorry. Okay. Um, uh, so. Uh, maybe we had better just uh, uh, try to uh, give us the bottom line on this. Do you think that we'll be okay through this? I think, I think we'll be okay. I think that I think we might be. If it does, if it's okay, Mark, sorry. Sorry, Mark. Uh, the, we absolutely are just getting, uh, uh, you know, noise there. So uh, thanks for being with us. I hope next time we get a better phone line. Um, Mark Warner, thank you very much. Okay, we are going to take a quick break. And when we return, Chief Matthew Pegg, who is in charge of the vaccine rollout here in Toronto, on the other side of the break. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. We will quite literally drive you to your vaccine appointment. Okay, that's the finance minister making that announcement yesterday, preempting a budget announcement. Uh, The big question is, how is that all going to work? I, I don't think he's going to be giving people lifts on his way to work. Now, presumably, we will get more details about some of those initiatives this afternoon. Uh, but, you know, uh, usually the way those things go is that there's an announcement and it takes a while for the money to get to whatever community organizations are actually going to deploy it. And then they have to get up and running. In the meantime, today, the city announced some initiatives to help elders and people with pre-existing conditions get to their vaccines appointments. And uh, I'm anxious to get some of those details to share. Now, I'm joined joined by Fire Chief Matthew Pegg, who is currently acting as the city's head of emergency management during the pandemic. Thank you so much for taking the time, Chief Pegg. My pleasure, Libby. How are you? Fine. Uh, so you listed there, the, I think, three uh, volunteer organizations that currently provide lifts, and you're just saying, well, they'll expand their hours. Can you explain how that's going to work? Uh, I don't actually have a lot of detail on that. Uh, it's not something that's happening at my fingertips. I can tell you, though, um, this this morning at this morning's press conference, Mayor Tory uh, did announce that there is some additional uh, some additional provisions being made. Uh, that includes, I know, the uh, Toronto Transit Commission, the TTC, is uh, is in the process or working out a process to make uh, some vouchers available. I know that uh, Uber is doing the same, as well as some of the other. Uh, some of our other community-based partner uh, transportation networks. So I am looking forward to those details as well. But unfortunately, Libby, I don't, I don't have that at my hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, when did you realize, uh, and it seems like the city, you know, is acting pretty quickly, that, that the arrangements you had made were problematic for up to 200,000 people in the 80-plus category? 
Um, you know, Libby, we are we are always monitoring and looking looking specifically at what are, what are all the things that we can do as an organization and, of course, as a city to make sure that as many people um, that everyone actually has access to vaccine as very quickly as possible, and that we are able to um, as quickly as possible vaccinate anyone that wishes to to uh, to get that. That, of course, has to happen in accordance with the provincial framework, which the province sets out. And of course, now we're at uh, just as of Monday, we're, we're now eligible for anyone 75 years of age or older, and uh, that is moving along very well. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, I, I don't know if you're in charge of this, but earlier in the program, we were talking to some people who are housebound or who have parents who are housebound and, and very difficult to move. And some of them have actually been contacted and said that that EMS will come and vaccinate them, but with absolutely no detail how, when, what, where. Uh, do you have any insight on that? Uh, not a lot other than to, I know that, uh, that the current plans, and I think what you're referring to Libby are programs that are operated by, uh, health partners as coordinated through the, the local health integration network or right. LINS as they're called. So there is a process in place. We, we receive, um, as you can appreciate, we receive a number of questions and inquiries relating to, uh, mobile type clinics. They go through a process. We, we can receive them generally through councillors' offices and the mayor's office. Uh, they they are they're ultimately processed and immediately tracked and responded to, and then they go to what is referred to or what's known as uh, the healthcare leadership table. And that is a that's a, a table that I'm not at. That's a table operated by uh, public health doctors who are looking at that that big picture view and um, you know assigning and prioritizing those those needs against and, and in collaboration or in conjunction with the provincial framework. So uh, still a lot of work to come with that. I think you're going to see that become even more important as we move into what the province refers to as phase two of their vaccine rollout program. Uh, people were also raising the possibility of drive-throughs, which apparently are set up in, in other regions. Is that something you're contemplating? Is, is that something, again, that's in your purview? We are looking, um, I would say nothing is off the table. At this point in time, we do not have plans for drive-through vaccination centers in Toronto, but that doesn't mean that we won't. Uh, the way that we have designed and, and built out our network of immunization clinics is uh, primarily fixed location based. And, you know, by setting up a network of nine city operated clinics around the city and then uh, augmented by by a very significant number of uh, healthcare partner-operated clinics and pharmacies and family doctors. So we don't have plans for drive-through at this point, Libby. But certainly something we're watching, and uh, nothing is—I would say—everything actually is on the table right now as uh, as things continue to move. And uh, what's your assessment? I know that you had a few snafus, particularly at the Congress Center, where there were long waits, uh, people who basically can't even stand for that long. But you've sorted that out. Uh, what? lessons what learnings have you had from you know basically the first week of this operation mm-hmm. so we uh, on monday a couple of things happened on monday we significantly increased the capacity of the clinic the amount of vaccine that was being administered and unfortunately like you spoke about um we we know i know that uh, we had a number of folks who that who were scheduled on Monday and who attended the clinic that simply didn't have a good a good what what I would call a client experience and and I I accept responsibility for that and apologize for that. We immediately went to work and we identified a number of root causes and in essence what we've done is significantly increased the amount of staffing in each of our clinics and that's um, literally all of the staff right from the the clinicians that are administering that are giving the needles. To all of the the clinic support staff from check in and aftercare and checkout, as well as increasing uh, the number of firefighters and paramedics that we have there, just to receive, help people when they arrive, to make sure they're looked after. Um, we brought in a number of uh, we now have chairs and drinking water on site so that uh, you know we don't see those kind of issues again. So I really appreciate everyone's patience. Candidly, we didn't get it right on Monday. We made the changes and uh, we're we're certainly doing better now and we'll continue moving forward. You may have a- answered my next question is, is where do you get extra staff so quickly? So it's partly paramedics and, and um, uh, f- 
people who work for the fire department. I mean, who else? I mean, one of the bottlenecks was apparently checking out, which is, you know, an administrative function. Yeah, we have, uh, we have comprehensive staffing plans in place. And there's, there's a, a, a team of about, about 1,400 people when we're, when we're fully up and running with our nine clinics. That's roughly the number of people it will take us to operate the clinic. So we, we simply went to work and uh, pulled people in from other areas. We reprioritized, uh, brought some additional off-duty staff. So like you said, uh, both paramedics and some of our Toronto firefighters were able to bring in off-duty to supplement some of those key roles. Uh, our Toronto Public Health team has direct access and direct contact with a network of nurses and physicians that we were able to access. So uh, the team did a lot of work overnight. It was really important to us that we make the corrections and get it right. And I'm really proud of the fact that we did. Mm-hmm. And so you do you see this model of a mass vaccination site as as the best model moving forward? At this point in time, we're, we're really, really pleased with the way that it's working. The experience for, for all of the clients that are coming to receive their vaccination. I was at uh, one of the sites yesterday. The feedback was exceptional. Um, it, it flows really well. We're able to, to do or, you know, pay particular attention because it is a fixed clinic. We, we pay a lot of attention to what's known as infection prevention and control. So making sure that it is a, it's an efficient process, that it's an enjoyable one and a safe one for everyone and that we can deliver the maximum amount of vaccine, uh, in the clinic every single day. And that's obviously our goal is to make that as readily available as possible. That's actually one of the things that doctors have identified as, uh, you know, a hesitancy on, on the part of older people is that aside from issues that they may have to stand longer than, than they can, um, it, they're, they're hesitant to be in uh, such a big place with, with a lot of other people. Sure. And, you know, we've, we've, uh, we've taken, you know, certainly doing everything we, we can do to support that. First and foremost, Libby, is, is everyone is welcome to bring someone with them. They're welcome to bring a caregiver or a family member or just someone that they're, they trust and they're comfortable with them. They can be with them the entire time in the clinic. So no circumstance where anyone has to be alone. We have trained uh, first responders and healthcare providers that are there to greet and interact and assist folks. Right from the time they arrive, uh, if they need mobility assistance, uh, we can provide that and, you know, literally help people get all the way through the clinic. Um, no one will ever find themselves in a spot where, you know, they're not really sure what to do or where to go next or unsupported. We'll, we'll make sure that that's looked after. But like I said, you know, I would certainly encourage anyone that has any concerns, by all means, bring a family member, bring a friend, bring a caregiver, 100% good by us. And in terms of the actual registration process, obviously there were a few hiccups with that. Uh, is the city still operating its own separate registration or has it all merged over to the province's site? It is all over to the to the provincial site now. So we are a client, if you will, of the provincial booking system. There are links on the on the Toronto website. So you can go to toronto.ca slash COVID-19 and access. There's a big blue button there that you can click on. It will take you directly into the provincial booking site, as well as the uh, there's a telephone for someone that would prefer to do it by phone, or if you have issues, uh, you know, have trouble doing it online, um, there's a provincial call center that uh, that they can be accessed by phone as well. But we're not we're not operating our own our own uh, booking system. We're on the provincial system, and all of the city operated clinics are available through that uh, through that system. Mm-hmm. Do you have any sense of what the wait time on the phone is? Uh, I don't. I don't have direct visibility, although I was talking to my provincial colleagues this morning and told that everything is very, very fast right now, both online and in the phone. We saw um, on Monday when the province opened up eligibility uh, to 75 and older, that was a really busy day. Um, but once we got through Monday, uh, today, I can tell you yesterday about 3,100 people booked appointments uh, over the course of yesterday. Today looks about about that uh, that same number if uh, the trend holds. So I, I know well within the operating parameters. I think everyone. I'm confident that people would have a good experience both on the phone and online today. Mm-hmm. And are you uh, confident that you will we will ultimately reach those people in the most vulnerable, the over eighty age group that have been you know they've been having trouble getting the access. Yeah, I, I am very confident, Libby, and we, we, there's a number of, 
you know, a number of avenues. So obviously right now, uh, anyone over the age of 75 can go, you can go right now and book an appointment in uh, a number of different clinics, the clinic, you know, the clinic of your choice, date and time of your choice. Uh, there are, you know, of course, that's being augmented now with, with greater and greater rollout in pharmacy. And, you know, very soon we expect that, uh, that the province will be able to make vaccine available to family doctors, as well as like we started talking about as we move into phase two. I'm confident that the, the healthcare leadership table will will continue to prioritize and continue to roll out mobile um, mobile teams and uh, you know specialized teams to hit some of our some of the populations that are that uh, that may have more difficulty than others. So there's a lot of different avenues. I'm very confident that uh, we have a good system in place and that everyone that wants a vaccine is going to be able to get one. Okay, uh, let's hope so. We have been talking to people who've been having challenges. Hopefully they get worked out in the not too distant future. Chief Peg, what would you like to leave us with? Uh, just a big thank you. I know that, uh, you know, at many, I say on, I know on Monday, some, some of our, some folks may have had less than a great experience in our clinics. And, you know, we've really worked hard to address that. I can tell you yesterday, things were seamless today. Things are seamless. So just a really big thanks for me and all of our team Thank you for your patience and, you know, your understanding and trust and confidence as we move forward and know that we are working nonstop and we will not stop working until uh, we beat COVID and it's behind us. Chief Matthew Pegg, thank you so much. Thank you. You're very welcome. Bye-bye. I know. So uh, we're at the end of the show. Just to recap, if you go to our website, we will post the names and contact info for some of those uh, expanded transportation options for people who are having difficulty getting to a vaccination site. We've heard that the libraries are going to be contacting up to 35,000 people to help them register if they need that help. The important thing that we heard here, if, if you need somebody to come to your home or to a loved one's home, it's happening through the Lynn. So you've got to get in touch with the Lynn and the Lynn will get in touch with the paramedics who will do that at this point. Nobody knows when that is going to happen. We're going to stay on top of it and try to get this information, but, uh, I don't think it exists out there yet. Uh, we've also heard about mobile clinics from Sunnybrook and, and others. But again, we don't have the details. We're, we're on it. We're trying to get those details for you right now. That is uh, the totality of, of what we know. And that's all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.